welcome to Upbringing. We're Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. This episode is supported by Modern Macrame, a one-stop shop honoring the art of woven craft, from vintage items to do-it-yourself projects like plant hangers, wall hangings, and beyond. Founder Emily Katz is in large part responsible for reviving the pastime of macrame, an ancient fiber art. We took one of our workshops a few years back and found the act of knotting to be so calming. It was really fun working with our hands when it wasn't cooking, cleaning, diapering, typing. Absolutely. Um, Her new book, A Coffee Table Meets Do-It-Yourself Guide, is truly beautiful, and we value that modern macrame's rope materials are sourced ethically. Most of the cotton is also grown in the U.S. and 100% Ocotec certified, meaning it's free from harmful chemicals. Visit modernmacrame.com and enter code UPBRINGING15 for 15% off. Now, on to our feature. Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there. That's right, woodchuck chuckers. Today, we're talking about... The magic of Groundhog Day. Mm, yep, our feature is by Paul Hannum. He is a British author and entrepreneur who has taught business and environmental management at Oxford University. Paul's written three books about self-help and psychology that have been published in a number of countries. His past two books, The Magic of Groundhog Day and The Wisdom of Groundhog Day, demonstrate how we can turn a terrible day into an amazing day using the 1993 movie. Classic, classic, one of our faves as a metaphor for improving our lives one day at a time. I also ate dinner with him in San Francisco once. How, how did that come to be? It's a, it's a crazy story of friends of friends, and one of our close friends, Nick, was working with him, and I just showed up to dinner, and he was sitting across from me, and he was like, I wrote this book. It's called The Magic of Groundhog Day, and I was like, I fucking love that movie, and we talked about it the entire dinner, and then he gave me the book. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But, I mean... We're In like really, 2008. <laughs> right. We're really talking about this because it's all connected, baby. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the experience of Phil Connors, a.k.a. Bill Murray, and I think we should just say Bill Murray because... I might say Phil or Phil <clears throat> Connors accidentally, but can we just go with Bill? Let's go but for Bill. Bill. Bill, like this is going to be interchangeable in our conversation a little bit, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, but so what you're saying is that the experience that Bill has in this Groundhog Day movie um, and that's explained in this book can actually translate to parenthood. Bing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Rate the cover. Um, honestly, I can't even remember the cover because I threw it away uh, at some point in the last like ten years. So it must I, have I can't been, remember it. It must have been brutal. I think it must I, have been super ugly. Rem- no, it wasn't. I think. Okay. Um, I vaguely remember like a clock. Like to, to symbolize the time, kind of like the old Groundhog Day uh, movie poster. It's really interesting that we chose this because I feel like people fall into one or two camps. About Kelty, the movie? Kelty, you've mentioned this a few times. Mm. And we have friends who have either loved Groundhog Day, like mm-hmm. we have, or they have fucking hated it. Yeah. Like with a vengeance where they're just like, that movie is hell. I hate it. Everything yeah. about it. Why do you think that is? Is it like 
a 90s movie thing? No. Is it a Bill Murray thing? No, I think it's like a triggering thing where people feel tortured by the repetition. And we somehow, like other than loving Bill Murray, obviously, and Andy McDowell. Mm -hmm. And 90s movies in general. Oh, yeah. Harold Ramis, anything. Anything. Um, But we're like liberated by that repetition. Like I remember Mm. when Edge of Tomorrow or Mm. what was it called? Live, Die, Repeat. It had two titles with the Tom Cruise movie uh, with Emily Bunt from a few years ago. I think same as Groundhog Day. I think I've watched it like a hundred times, which is the shocking thing because you're like, it's basically the same thing happening through the whole movie. And that's the one you choose to watch over and over again. Maybe because it's like there's some magic that can come out of a constrained situation. Like like it's a social experiment or something. Like um, I think of like the Truman Show with Jim Mm -hmm. Carrey or Big, where these, there's this like variable dropped into a sea of constraints and like what happens, how it, what is affected, you know? That's true. But I think generally about this book slash movie, which is what we're going to be talking about the entire time. The main point is, Feeling imprisoned in our own lives is a serious human condition. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think people who write this off as just like a cute romantic comedy uh, may be missing that deeper, yeah. deeper level of understanding and maybe just weren't looking for it or didn't want to see it. Or I also feel like they probably didn't promote it that way back in 1993. Probably like, not. You know, nowadays <clears throat> they're super hip on what's the deeper meaning of this? Let's promote it. Let's you know, plug the shit out of that deeper meaning. Yeah. And back in 1993, it was just like, oh, this happy-go-lucky Everything's comedy. promoted differently than it's actually or often read. Yeah, now seen. I get like totally duped on something that seems like way deeper than it actually is. And this was the opposite. Yeah, where kind of. I, I think I'd rather have that. Well, I pulled up the overview from the site and I was hoping you could read it just in case people haven't... <clears throat> um, seen the movie or heard about the book okay i have not read the book kelty read the book but i i have seen the movie many times i feel like mostly in hotel rooms Mm, um that's like that's like my happy hotel room room movies that we love turner and hooch yeah that's a big one um i don't know like just cheesy romantic comedies mostly Mm. shit they play like you know on tbs and when you're eating chips and yes yeah yeah Okay, here's the overview. The 1993 movie Groundhog Day, written by Daniel Rubin and Harold Ramis and directed by Harold Ramis, has touched millions with its hilarious and profound tale of personal transformation. But few people realize that encoded in the scenes, dialogue, and plot of this beloved film are actually the answers to the most important questions of our lives. How do I find meaning? How do I overcome fear? How do I change? How can I be truly happy? In this inspiring and highly original book, renowned teacher, green entrepreneur, and author Paul Hannum lifts the veil on the remarkable secrets contained in this unassuming yet extraordinary little film and shows you how to use its lessons to transform your own life and achieve fulfillment, (laughs) happiness, and peace in the here and now. That's a big sell. <clears throat> I don't know if we're going to get there with parenting through this, but can you I, give us a couple well, take-homes? Yeah, for sure. But I I encourage everyone to read this book. It's so much more thorough than what we're representing today in and our not, conversation. Is it that much about the movie or more about just life and what we can do to be just it's happier, better people? It's basically a personal growth book 
through the lens of the movie, honestly. And I feel like there should be more of those. I think more people would read them. Absolutely. Like Working Girl. Oh, Oh, another good. Oh my um, God, that would be amazing. Can can we just learn about our life and our brain and our thoughts and our feelings and our relationships through Working Girl? That would be amazing. There's so many of those. But anyway, I mean, you can sort of see as you're thinking about like Groundhog Day how it could apply to our parenting, our experience, our tra- our transformation. Like, what pops well, to your mind? Immediately, I think of that, like, clock that's next to oh. Phil's bed that every morning, <laughs> so he's stuck. He's a, just for those of you who don't know, he's a reporter. He comes into Puxatawney. Hannah, just, uh, I don't let's even get know. there. We, we have to assume people have seen this at least once. I don't know. People might not have seen it. And he, he finds out that he is stuck in this town on the same day, reliving Groundhog Day over and over and over again. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> every morning he wakes up at 6 a.m. to the same Cher and Sunny. Put Sunny your and Cher. little hand in mine. Yeah. You don't know the words after hearing it so many climb. times. Yeah. Um, I Got You, Babe, is the song. Yeah. Um, and that immediately is like, oh my God, that's parenting. We're literally like, you are not in charge of your own life. You're woken up the same day. The same way. <clears throat> the same way by a child screaming instead of like an alarm mm. clock. And like, completely out of your control you know yeah it's um you know am i right or am i right <laughs> or am i right am i right you're right right, right. Yeah. um yeah i feel like as you're watching the movie you you begin cringing seeing it happen again and yeah. you hear you hear the click of the clock and then you hear the music again and it, it's that same like dread internal dread mm-hmm. and trigger yeah. of like you're waiting all night to hear someone yell your name or cry or mm-hmm. whatever it is mm-hmm. i get that but i think that we're going to talk about how it's bigger than that. Like, not that that's just a superficial connection, but it is. It's like our first obvious one. Um, but I think that every single person has at some point been trapped in their own reality. Like mm-hmm. Bill Murray. That sounds mm-hmm. weird saying Bill Murray and stuff. Phil Connors. I think when we're speaking of him affectionately, we can call him Bill. But okay. otherwise, it's Phil Connors because he's a character. Um, whether they're a parent or not. And we're going to talk about these, like, clues that Paul Hannum has found embedded in the movie because basically all the ways to escape our own time loops and transform our reality so that we can be free to pursue happiness and fulfillment. Mm. I feel like for all you kids listening, even if you haven't seen Groundhog Day, you could still listen to this and probably get something. And I don't know if you will for sure because I don't know what Kelty's going to tell me. I don't read these books. We'll give some some background, and most of it is really just about like our thoughts and behaviors. And but and just stuff. like you don't need to read any of the books that we talk about for these features episodes, you also don't have to have watched the movie. It's a reference point, but it is not the be all end all. Yeah, but go yeah. see that movie seriously, mm-hmm. or see it again. Yeah, yeah. If you were like a punk the last time you saw it. Mm-hmm. So. Groundhog Day in general, it, it just passed, mm-hmm. which we realized recently because we have no radar at all for Groundhog Day or what no. it's about or what it's for. What is it for? What is it about? I don't know. I think we've been, wait, let me let me grab my book because I have some page things. Okay. Tell, tell about our like experience right now on the farm in the winter, all the shitty weather we've been dealing with. It's just gross. As a, as it's a preface. gross out here. We live on a farm. It's dirty, it's muddy, it just mm-hmm. snowed recently, so it's just kind of like a light dusting that just makes everything cold and shriveled and sad and dark looking. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are <clears throat> feeling a bit stir crazy. We are ready for some hope that a camellia will bloom, that mm. 
you know, these geese will fly south already, <laughs> not be pooping everywhere. That, And I think that's what Groundhog Day is. It's this annual ritual that takes place at the end of winter when everybody is feeling the way we are right now with some mm-hmm. cabin fever and being like, when is spring going to happen? Yeah. So <clears throat> Paul Hannum says, it is a time when we can either fixate on a dark, cold future or look forward to bright days ahead. The groundhog is a predictor of six more weeks of winter or an early spring. Of course, it cannot really control the weather, but tradition holds that if it fails to see its shadow, we will be able to break out of our humdrum routine. If it does see its shadow, we will remain stuck. Hmm. This reinforces the idea that our fate is out of our hands, that external forces will dictate what is going to happen to us. External forces like... I'm not done. Spending more time indoors in winter, we have more time to think. Do we focus on the positive or the negative? Are we suffering from cabin fever or are we actively planning and looking forward to the next stage of our lives? Mm, Jesus, that really hits home. I feel like that is parenthood uh, in a nutshell. Like Mm. the concept of feeling stuck in the winters of phases with our kids. Like how do we not get sucked into it? kind of a dreary outlook, always hoping our kid is going to change. When are they going to bloom? When are they going to blossom or thaw? Mm. You know, um, I'm hoping this book is going to help us all have, have that mental feeling a little bit of spring, no matter what the season is. Please say yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Paul basically says that he believes that each of us is somehow living our own version of Groundhog Day to some extent, hmm. which he calls the Groundhog Day effect. And... He tells a story of how he sort of came to identify with that effect himself. Hmm. And he basically found a diary that he kept six over for over six years that was like old a while ago. What dude does a diary like that? I don't that? know. He's, he's amazing. Like, wow. But he, at first he read through it and he was marveling at all of these like changes that he'd undergone, like work and all these cool travels they went on and his kids aged this many years and they were doing all these things Mm. and one of his parents died and the other one went to an assisted living and he was just like wow there are so many changes that we've done and things we've done on the surface on the surface Mm. right but then he started looking at his little in-between reflections and he saw this pattern of thinking and experience that hadn't changed at Mm. all through the whole six years of the diary or since then. Hmm. And I feel like this is something we've talked about with some of our closest friends who've kept diaries where they're like, I'm the same as I was when I was nine. Hmm. And not even just the same, but the way I think about things, the way yeah. I talk about my experience is absolutely the same. Hmm. So he basically like freaked the fuck out and uh, started like getting into it and trying to figure out where this came from. Like the external things were shifting and changing and moving, but my internal life was very static, was very um, like locked in hmm. and not necessarily in a positive way. Um, and I think we talk a little bit about this on social media, but I got to deep dive a little bit into this thing called personal reality. Ooh. And I'm going to read a little bit to explain it. Hold on, I need to pull the page up. Um, the Groundhog Day effect is largely caused by our unique set of behavioral and thought patterns, mm-hmm. which create our personal reality. We do not directly experience the world around us. We experience a personal reality through our senses. Personal reality is a reflection of reality, not reality itself. Hmm. So in effect, there are two realities. The reality of what is the real world and the world as we see it, our personal reality. 
Mm. We might not repeat the exact day over and over again in our outer lives, like Phil did or Bill, Mm -hmm. Um, yet our personal reality can effectively create the same day again and again in our inner lives. Whoa. Okay, so this idea of a personal reality, I'm thinking of something like the reality of the situation is something explodes. Our personal reality could be like, oh my God, that's beautiful. Or, oh my God, someone probably died. Mm -hmm. Um, We walk outside and it's cloudy. A good friend of ours would say, oh my God, this is the shittiest day ever. Mm -hmm. I personally, being a vampire, would say, oh my God, I love today. It's the most perfect weather ever. the, The weather itself is cloudy, but our interpretation of it as individuals is reflected on our personal reality so our personal reality is our own weather it's our meta oh yeah that's don't weather on weather baby (laughs) yeah but you know that's our lens you're saying is that right yeah yeah um basically like everyone's own perception is their reality and i think we've talked about this before Mm -hmm. just in terms of our parenting where we have this we try to make an um like a mental picture of you say an orange and what passes over to your child is an apple Mm -hmm. or your kid is behaving a certain way and the way you interpret it is like completely different in your own thing exactly yeah but i think that you could give a little bit more of an example of just the difference between even your own personal experience do you have an example of that i can't think of one right now can you well i realize that i could be sitting, experiencing one of my kids having a total meltdown at dinner time one day. And like, so I'm feeling like the world is ending and (laughs) I'm a a piece of shit and I'm mad at my kid and life is all wrong. Okay. And then two days later, like the exact same circumstances occur. And somehow I'm feeling like the calm, wise believer who feels Mm -hmm. everything's going to be all right. And who makes things better instead of worse and Mm -hmm. can connect with my kid and end up like chuckling through the meal. Like that's, what's, yeah, what's the uh, variable that's there? me. Yeah. That is my lens. Me, me, me. <laughs> um, but really this Kel reminds me of Byron Katie, who we read and love, who is all about identifying the thoughts that cause our suffering. I re- read recently that she wrote that I am the only problem in my world. And I feel like your example is just like that in the movie, you know, like, yeah, I think we, we create the problems that we experience. I agree. I think in like a non blamey, shamey way, sure. like a very natural way. Um, yeah. For Phil, I feel like the town didn't change. The events and people didn't change. Every day was the same. The weather didn't change. The days were identical, except for one thing. Phil changed. Yeah. And like the dinner tantrum thing. Phil's day went from the worst day of his life to the best day of his life. And it wasn't about changing his outer world so much as his inner world. Hmm. I feel like this also brings up that idea of release for me. Like, I feel like the movie represents the end of him being, you know, at the end, he's kind of released from that curse that he has of living the same day over and over again. Uh And I feel like if we're taking this metaphor all the way, do it when we are released from the curse. When is that? Like, what's the our, curse? Our kids? What is it? Our kids? Like, yeah. I don't know. Is it once the kids are asleep at night or when they go to college yeah. or when are we or, being like, oh my God, Groundhog Day is over? Yeah. I think that 
that's the thing is saying, can we look at being released as a mental thing? Hmm, not a circumstantial not thing. Not a circumstantial thing, but as okay. an inward thing. Like, can I be released from the tension of this situation? Not because I got to walk out the door away from my family or my partner came in and took over for me, but because I mentally released myself from the the strain of it somehow. Hmm. I feel like that totally like floats because Phil at the end like Groundhog Day is over, but he still wants to stay in that uh-huh. town with her. Like that, <laughs> he's got like um, totally. What's it called? Syndrome, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, yeah. He, Where he still wants to he's stay. He's done. He he like made it happen. He loves it. But yeah, it's all mental. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's the big ask for us as parents or people is just realizing that mm-hmm. you know. So how do we stop looking at our outer world like our kids um, and expecting them to change and instead look inside us for that change? Why is the change? about us and not about them. Well, I think that we'll talk about that in the book realm, but if we were going to just do our own rant about this, I would say that for us, it's about seeing our kids challenging behaviors as healthy and meeting them where they are and knowing our influence and playing the long game. Like basically all of our empowerments that help us look inward instead of struggling to control everything around us. Hmm. But Paul would call that the magic of Groundhog Day. Okay. I am in. I want to know more. Okay. So reading this book felt made it feel really easy to make connections to Phil's experience in Puxatani uh, with our journey as becoming parents and just like generally becoming. Okay. Explain me. Okay. So Phil is designed to be a character that seems like he could never change. And the premise. How so? Well, the premise of the like movie. Like for people who don't really remember okay, Phil Murray Okay. So he, being he super walks cute. into this town and he's just like. He's an asshole. He's a total asshole, and he's so unaware, Mm -hmm. and he has his own agenda, and he's incredibly oblivious to everyone and everything around him. Um, And I feel like the premise of the movie sort of traps him and imprisons him in this world that ends up like attacking his character flaws. Does Mm -hmm. that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Parenting? (laughs) Yeah. So basically, the relentless nature of the movie's premise ensures that he'll have no choice but to transform. Hmm. So being in a world where our kids' behaviors are constantly revealing our own character flaws, uh-huh. <laughs> coupled with the relentless nature of our children in general, make us forced to change. That's right. So yeah. it's basically our show up and grow up mentality, Kel. Like we get into this thing and we had no idea how much we were going to need to grow, but yeah. we are going to fucking show up and grow up. That's the idea. Um, Phil kind of begins the movie not looking to change or look at his life at all. Like he Hmm. doesn't think he has any problems or anything to work on. And it makes me wonder, did you think that you had things that you needed to work on when you became a mom or like skills to learn? Hmm. I feel like so much of what, like thinking of early mom stuff was just like keeping a baby alive, you Mm. know, like, or just getting through childbirth. Yeah. Oh, sure. And like, then keeping yeah, and then you're like weaning and swaddling them or wearing them even like before you're even weaning or nursing. I mean, um, doing the car seat, like maybe introducing new foods and making sure they don't get allergies. Like basically mm-hmm. none of the interpersonal stuff that I like, I couldn't have even predicted that stuff. Um, I feel like I was recently talking to a friend that like pertains to this story, but Who? he was my friend, Dan. Mm-hmm. I love him. He is having a baby who was born recently, and um, he, at his like baby shower, was saying how <clears throat> he feels super confident 
and like the logistical side of things, the physical, the visible side of things. Like, you know, I can get up in the middle of the night when I'm needed. I can change the diapers. I can do the car seat. I can make the bottles. Um, but he, what was amazing and makes me love him so much was that he was like, but I know there's something else. There's another side. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's going to bring me, but I know it's fucking there. And I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it. What did you say? But most people don't even know that that's there. That they, I didn't know that that was there. know that there's stuff you don't know. No. Like yeah. you don't even know that it's not visible and physical and logistical. That it's ethereal and magical and like devilish. Yes. And really yeah. scary. But that idea that like there are these two worlds. There's the aware and conscious world and the visible world. But then there's this other world of like our inner experience, the invisible our, stuff. Yeah, and our and our but, personal interpersonal relationship with but, our kids. But like, also there's the early childhood world and the later <clears> childhood <throat> world. <throat> and I listened to a podcast recently, and I'm not going to name names, but she was sort of interviewing a parent who was uh, talking about their problems, and it came out that the person had um, maybe like a two year old and a three month old. Okay. And when she heard this news, she goes, oh, you haven't been parenting yet. Hmm. And I was like, what? That is so fucking patronizing, saying that this woman wasn't parenting yet. And at the same time, I totally understood what she meant, which Mm -hmm. was, you're about to enter into this whole other realm of things that you have no idea. Mm -hmm. But it made me really frustrated in the moment because wherever anybody is, they're working hard and they're struggling mm-hmm. and they're going through their stuff. But then there's always the next thing. Like we have family and friends who are just having their first baby and we're like, wait until you have a toddler. And then we have fr- friends and family who are getting to their second baby and we're like, you don't even know what it's like with a second one. Oh my gosh. And then that yeah. makes me think, what do we not know about mm-hmm. of our friends who have like six and eight year olds or four kids? One or, of our or my old friends. boss adopted, I think four kids, four siblings. And she was adopting four year olds, six year olds eight-year-olds that she didn't even know so it's like the beauty of of starting with a newborn is like at least you get to grow up together and you figure these things out little by little by little I think it's like a growing curve scaffolding for both of you guys Mm -hmm. but it's like wow that's that's just you don't want to um kind of you want to honor that but I think that's the problem is is the idea which a lot of people do have this sort of comparative suffering like Mm. oh you're struggling with a newborn wait till they're two or oh you have a toddler just wait till they're a teenager and they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that attitude that kind of rubs me the That's wrong way. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what we're no. doing. But but we get how every every new sphere is is bringing mm-hmm. new challenges in that way. And that people just want to be sharing those things. Mm-hmm. I don't but know how that, we got on this tangent. But, well, I guess, but that you and I do distinguish two separate things from the more logistical, predictable things that we can imagine. And then the the ethereal, invisible really highly emotional and psychological things that we don't really always pay attention to mm-hmm. or even realize are existing Totally, that this movie and book really talk about a lot. Totally. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the storyline for a second and like examine Phil's goals, his goals, <laughs> his goals or okay. like, well, it's because we're trying to put this in perspective. Like, okay, how are we going to be making goals as people and parents? What's our journey looking like compared to Phil's what, through the storyline? Like, when met with a struggle. Sure. So, like being in the same place over and over again for fucking ever. Right. It sounds kind okay. of familiar, right? Yeah. So his goal at the beginning of the movie is to basically 
fix the problem. Okay. So he goes to the doctor. He goes to a psychiatrist. He's asking other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at a certain phase in the movie, he his next goal becomes to basically exploit the situation. So he's manipulating. He's controlling. He's harming I other like people this part and of himself. The movie. It's, it's a like, fun part. It's super disturbing and funny. <laughs> I yeah. I think we all kind of enjoy. Yeah just like running and rolling through our like fantasy of what we would do in that time. But he's taking advantage. Mm-hmm. And then finally the goal becomes selflessness and harmony and like authentic happiness, basically mm-hmm. to connect and be generous and find happiness by working on himself. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because he had to exhaust like every other possible option, even death mm-hmm. before <laughs> I forgot about that part. He did. before he could turn inward. I feel like there's that portion of the movie that's mm-hmm. in the middle where I'm always like sort of forward through. It's I'm like, stressful. I can't watch it's hard. this part. It's, it's painful. It's, it's the hard, like down part of it. But I feel like we're totally compelled to do that as parents too. This really reminds me of Dabda. What's Dabda? Dabda, um, from what I remember are the stages of grief. So, they're like the, I mean, I think that they've been used in a lot of other contexts mm-hmm. where they're the stages of any loss. So DABDA stands for D is denial. Um, so you, you come up on a challenge or frustration, a situation, and first you reject it. You got denial. Then you're fucking pissed. So A is anger. Then B uh, is bargaining, so you're trying to make a different way. You're trying to do better. I'm trying to find my make you know my, get through um, computer charger. Right? Okay, Sorry. and then thanks for charging that, baby. Mm-hmm. And um, then you're after bargaining, like you're in a fucking depression. Like you're sad. You're finally experiencing sadness. Oh. And then the last stage of DABDA is a acceptance, and that's when you work through. So it's it's like a full stage of grief. <sighs> this is something we talk about. Um, you know, being on the dab to roller coaster with our kids and how we, <laughs> yeah. but how we want them to, <clears throat> we want to see them through the full dab to experience with everything where we don't want to fix something in the denial phase. We don't want to fix something in the, in the bargaining phase. We don't want to fix something in the sadness but stage. But how do we support, support them on their dab to stage if we're on our own fucking dab to loop? <laughs> That's a little dab to meta. Um, I don't know, but it's hard. Like, you know, okay. Um, so give an example. So, I don't know. Like, I'm, my kid is freaking out about something. Their socks aren't going on right. Their brother took their toy. Um, But, you know, I keep ignoring it. So, I'm in denial. It doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And then they're still screaming and shit's going down. And so then I start getting angry. That's the A step. I'm like, what the fuck? Stop. Stop this. Um, but that doesn't seem to make the impression that I intended. So <laughs> I start throwing out options to gain their compliance. I come in and I'm like, oh, if, I, if like, how about we go jump at the bounce place to do whatever, yeah. to gain their compliance, basically but, do but some you, bargaining. You sort of burned that bridge already, didn't you? Yes. <clears throat> so then that's when I go into a slump and start thinking, oh, I'm a fucking terrible mom. Like, this sucks. I failed them. It's a depression step. The depression step. And then... You know, I talk with you or Alex or I journal if I did that and uh, about everything that happened, you know, and I wrap it up and eventually I get to the acceptance phase if I'm lucky. But that's what we're trying to do for our kids is to like get that full experience of emotion so that they can go from a frustration and a a disappointment to acceptance and not get hung up in these other stages. But 
we have to take care of ourselves first and be working through our own issues with the DABDA mm-hmm. cycle, That's which so we weren't really nourished so about. So next time when your kids is freaking out, you're like, I'm working my own DABDAs right now. <clears throat> it, it's hard <laughs> when the DABDAs uh, like coincide. <laughs> Oftentimes I can, I am like, I am on top of it and I can mm-hmm. like support their own DABDA situation. But okay. other times it's like, you know, I feel like we can complicated. look at this maybe in a different way. Okay. So like another side of living like Phil Connors on the like DABDA loop is maybe thinking about him on like, or as one of those protagonist hero kind of journeys. Hmm. So I read a breakdown of the structure of stories and it felt familiar to me, not just Phil, but our own like sort of evolution as parents. Okay, how so? So the first step is a character is in a zone of comfort. This is a hero journey. Yeah. Okay. But it's also just, it's like... Are we picturing our parenting journey as well? I think we can. Okay. I mean, I think it's a hero journey, parenting journey, um, storyline of a character, like okay. a, a very traditional storyline. Okay. So a character is in a zone of comfort. Number two, they want something. So maybe that's like, we're ready to have a baby. I don't know. Three, they enter an unfamiliar situation. Bomb. Four, they adapt to it. Five, they get what they wanted. Six, they pay a heavy price for it. <laughs> Seven, they return to their familiar situation. Eight, having changed in some way. But that could like all mm-hmm. happen in a single fucking day as parents, which is yeah. totally crazy. But totally. I think what I'm getting at is instead of imagining ourselves like locked in this shitty Puxatawney town or like cycling through stages of grief, can we try to think of ourselves on a hero's journey? I'm totally picturing myself in Clash of the Titans, and I'm loving <laughs> Dad it. Dad would be proud. Yes. But, but seriously, aren't we all forced to undergo the hero's journey as parents? Well, I think that we can definitely look at it that way. If yeah, we can look at like, it that way, we are. Yeah. Like, choose to be the hero. I am the hero in this story. <clears throat> yeah. But it kind of like that kind of brings me back to this personal reality thing which if i have one takeaway from this entire book is it is the thing hmm. just being forced to acknowledge that every person has their own personal reality or what you and i call often uh, personal truth mm-hmm. was really scary but in some ways also just a huge relief to me why how why relief yeah well the more i read about it And the more I've subsequently thought about it, the more I see the ways in which my personal reality can seriously undermine my quality of life. Like Hmm. the story of a dinner meltdown, like nothing changed about my own lens and my own experience of the situation was the thing that Mm -hmm. changed. So I'm going to read an excerpt about it. Okay. I got to, I got to go to the, it's, it's a little bit of a long passage, but it basically summarizes the whole personal reality thing. And I feel like it's really important to hear. Okay. Okay. Go on. Let me see where it's supposed to end. Way we want. Okay. Your reality determines the quality of your experience. So let's be thinking about this as sidebar, as parents, as people, as people struggling, moving through the world who are often feeling frustrated, sad, irritated. Me. Me. (laughs) Me. Me. Still. (laughs) Also me. Um, Okay. Your thoughts, emotions, and actions work together to build a powerful filter that decides what is good or bad, enjoyable or unpleasant. 
Over time, this leads to repetitive patterns of automatic thinking, which result in the feeling that you have no control over your life. Your reality creates its own needs, which you confuse with with your genuine needs. If your reality is based on seeking attention, you will always crave attention and approval. With such a relentless need, you feel dissatisfied and incomplete however much attention you get. Your reality also creates its own boundaries. It structures what you see, hear, and feel. If you seek approval, you will use all your senses to check if people like you or not. Mm. Your behavior aims to project favorable impressions, to sell yourself like a commodity rather than establish genuine quality relationships. Your reality also sets its own rules, which can be irrational and lead to ongoing feelings of frustration and dissatisfaction. For example, I've met people who say they will only be happy if they marry a supermodel or others (laughs) who will only consider themselves successful if they become a billionaire. Their reality produces unrealistic expectations and desires. In effect, their world and the real world are in conflict. It's easier for them to believe the childlike illusion that the real world should conform to their personal reality than to accept that their filters were wrong and they themselves must change. They doom themselves to never-ending disappointment because, as we learn as adults, it is impossible for people and events to always turn out the way we want. Whoa. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's so much as the way we want, but it's just the way we think things should go. And I think with parenting, Mm. it's so normal and common to think my expectations aren't my like selfish expectations. That's just what all parents believe and all parents think. Mm -hmm. It should just take an hour to get out of the house in the morning. My child is old enough to be able to say thank you every time he's given something. Or, you know, when my kid's sharing big feelings, that sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, these are things that I don't think you and I and everybody necessarily personally ascribe to and believe come from us within. It's just these things that we feel we all take part in. It's part of this collective feeling, this conventional wisdom of parenting. Yeah, but it's, it's taking that and saying, that's what I believe and that's truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that he represents that as the Groundhog Day effect. Basically, mm. all the ways that we, like Phil, tried to do with the town until he didn't, <laughs> um, try to get our children to conform to our personal reality instead of living outside that bubble so we can be working with their personal reality too. Like aiming for that win-win that we always talk about mm-hmm. where we're closer to getting everyone's needs met. Hmm. Um, what are some more examples of getting stuck in our own personal reality well, without bringing us down too much? Okay, we're, we'll like we're all it. living in our own personal reality. Like, we be gentle with us, please. Uh, well, I'll be gentle, okay. but but hearing the ways that we do that can help us kind of snap out of it in a way, hmm. and hopefully. Okay. So he actually shares four common categories of personal reality that can create the Groundhog Day effect, and they resonate with me about all the things we struggle with as parents, like. It's basically just the ways that our minds are trying to protect our fragile egos so we won't get hurt, um, but just mm. kind of like prevent us from finding the magic. Mm, that's the downside. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Four things. One, entitlement. Two, insecurity. Three, approval. And four, control. Okay. So these are the ways we get sucked into the Groundhog Day effect, basically. Okay. So one, entitlement. These are things we don't want to f- be feeling necessarily. But we do, and it's common, and that's okay. Okay. So see if we identify but maybe that we want to be questioning. We want to be becoming aware is the first thing. Let's, let's become aware if we have these feelings, and then we can be questioning, and then we okay. can be working on it. Okay. okay. 
So one, entitlement. So entitlement one is about, I'm like sort of summarizing because this is pages, but I think it's about our pride and the idea that other people, our children, owe us something <laughs> and that our needs are the most important. Hmm. So the thoughts that grow through our heads during this time are things like, my way or the highway, my kid should do what I say, I know best, this isn't fair, this shouldn't be happening. Sure, been there. Totally. Yeah. Um, insecurity, number two. This one is about our fear, um, our lack of connection and self-esteem, and the need to flee from reality. Mm-hmm. Totally basic Been need. there too. Yeah. Yeah. So the thoughts that go through our heads during this one are things like, I'm a failure, I'm messing up my kid. I never get it right, or they never get it right, or I'm helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, approval. So this one is about the ego, basically, and outside recognition, achievement, basing our happiness on the actions of others. Mm-hmm. It's a big one we talk about a lot. But the thoughts that go through our own heads are things like, I need my kid to love me. I have to prove that I know what I'm doing, or this looks bad. Or this is embarrassing. Sure, it's so, about other people. Right. And, yeah. and then the fourth one, control. This one is about the inability to trust, basically. And the need for order and predictability and the expectation that others should conform to our personal reality. Mm. Yeah, so the thoughts that go through our own heads in this is, it's my job to fix this, or I have to be perfect, or my kid should never, or my kid should always, mm. or... They should follow the rules or I expect or whatever. I feel like all of these entitlement, insecurity, approval, control, that's like those are the cornerstones of parenting. That's what we base our parenting on is saying, I'm top dog. Anything bad that happens is a reflection on me or my kids. Mm -hmm. It's important that everyone sees that I know what I'm doing and that my kid knows what I'm doing and then that... If shit goes down, I got to be on top of it and, again, assert that top dog kind of control situation. That's so normal. Like, that's yeah. what, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but he, he talks about each of those sort of as a reality that represents a state of consciousness that we, quote unquote, project onto our external reality hmm. and that dictates the scope and quality of our experience, hmm. like our personal reality. So we yeah. make that up. So you're saying that we make that shit up and we put it onto our experience with our kids. Basically. Like, it's not real. Yeah. So what? We're, we're going to get to the magic. Okay. He's gonna, so that's the Groundhog Day effect, and then he's going to tell us the Groundhog Day magic. Okay. I'm ready for that magic. So all of these things that Phil Connors learned are basically ways to transform our reality. They're the things that helped him create a magical life, but by using the same resources he'd used to create misery and despair because every Mm. single day was the same and all of a sudden he starts looking around himself to transform with the things that had been at hand that whole time (laughs) okay so paul starts talking about magic oh you love talking about magic i I do but he says that when we're feeling magical we have these feelings of aliveness and joy and hope and possibilities like those times that we can appreciate the gift of life and see the best in others and Basically discover the magic in any moment. I feel like most of those times are when we are feeling very happy. Mm -hmm. It's like floating down the river in the summer or seeing your kids skip off together hand in hand or those happier moments, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But it must be our personal realities that 
can actually hide that magic from us. Right. So he he's asserting they don't just that exist in and of themselves. We are kind of those gatekeepers. Our minds are the we gatekeepers. We are judging those whether things. it's a magical scenario or not. Okay. Like every, he's basically saying everything can be a magical scenario if you look at it that way. That sounds crazy. It sounds totally crazy. But how many times have you sort of been able to f- flip that switch mm-hmm. or, you know, reframe in that way? That's basically what it is, is reframing. Mm-hmm. But he says, what if it is a question of discovering the perfection in your life instead of creating it? Whoa. Yeah. Say that again. What if it is a question of discovering the perfection in your life instead of creating it. So basically, Mm -hmm. the magic is always there, but we have to alter the way we experience the world by consciously applying all the Phil Connor things that he did (laughs) to our lives. Yeah. So it's up to us. That is a lot of pressure. It's a ton of pressure. But also quite the opportunity, it sounds like. Yeah, it could be like a pressure release Mm -hmm. at the same time. Okay, what are the things? What do we need to do? There are steps. Okay. Paying attention, repetition, acceptance, creativity, and love. <laughs> and I wrote down a handful of bullet points just f- through those five things. We're not going to be exhaustive in going through them. And that's why I recommend reading the book because it's fucking loaded with gems in every single one of the categories mm-hmm. containing cool little things about the movie too. So yeah, let's do it. Okay. So paying attention to the magic around us. And that has a few little lists in it as well. I love my list though. So it's about a sense of gratitude, self-awareness, identifying what's important, be mindful and slow down. Gratitude's a kind of easy one though, right? I'm still thinking about you saying pay attention to the magic around us and how with early parenthood, you're like newborn baby, holy fuck, this is so magical and amazing. And then like with a two-year-old, you're like, oh my God, this is not so magical right now. Yeah. And then a four-year-old, like, it's like, excuse me, it's like the magic wanes the longer you're exposed to this wonderful little being. Well, he sort of alludes to that as the reason that a lot of marriages fail or friendships mm-hmm. crumble or you get you want to move mm-hmm. to another house because we just end up taking those things for granted basically. We get too used to them and we do. We, we stop kind of, we stop paying attention. Yeah. Even though but he's saying the magic is still there. And that to continue seeing that magic and paying attention to it, you have to cultivate a sense of gratitude. You have to be mindful. You have to slow down enough to see that magic. Exactly. Which I feel like it totally happens. Think about how fast we move with a new baby versus how fast we move with a four-year-old. Yeah. We're just like kind that of explains them in some ways why we're not really, it's not that the magic doesn't exist, but that we're not seeing that magic. Yeah. I keep thinking of, you know, a movie like Scrooged or It's a Wonderful Life mm. where you're forced to see what losing the things you love looks like in order to be grateful for them. Yeah, you know, but that's this what is, we need. But Groundhog Day is such a weird opposite in that way because those other movies show that people can only learn or feel gratitude by having something taken away from them. Mm, something and, at risk. Right. And this movie shows that there are so many more ways <laughs> to develop that gratitude. You know, like nothing about Phil's life changed really at all. Yes, he was stuck in the same day over and over, but it wasn't like something had been taken away that he then could be like, I actually love 
it's way more scientific technically yeah like control groups and experiment experimental groups but it was like it was an inside out thing as opposed Mm -hmm. to the out the external situation being changed Mm -hmm. so he could then change it was the opposite he had to change because nothing else i did we have that opportunity all the time where we have we get both of those things we get that monotony that we get to be like wow what can we change within this but we also get to see oh my god these shoes don't fit anymore Mm -hmm. oh my god like i was this baby and now i'm this person oh my gosh they're now they're in preschool and i see them like half the time i used to we're getting these little signs and symptoms of what we could lose and what we will ultimately lose yeah but i think those are those those are milestoney reminders that hit us over the head and then we get lost in the mundane day to day where we aren't paying attention right. and we're forced to pay attention in when they graduate from well, that's preschool why they call it the longest they, shortest time yeah sure. or no but or when like the shoes don't fit that forces you to recognize how much they're growing and but how that's much you not appreciate a thing we them. hold with us presently every day every moment or we should try is basically the idea yeah. yeah but even just in a in a struggle with your kids trying to trying to find ways to notice little things like i will try sometimes to when my daughter is being really challenging and i'm having a lot of trouble liking her or enjoying her i do that thing that you've talked about before about Mm -hmm. thinking about the snapshot Mm -hmm. i have a couple snapshots in my mind one of them is at one of her birthday parties and it's like just one of my happy place moments and one of them is when she was really little and just kind of like wiggle worming around. And it was just, it's one of those like ah, moments in your mind that I snap into. So I either go into one of those to kind of give me a little bit of like healthy detachment mm-hmm. or I zero in and I look at like the way her hair is on her face or the way her, what her fingers are doing while she's screaming at me mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but just kind of like getting into that to pull me out of what I'm in, basically. Yeah, it's like a um, really like it's like a chosen mindfulness mm-hmm. about those things. But I think that you've shared some mindfulness mindfulness the techniques <laughs> similar to that, mostly around your own body, though, when you're trying to sort of cope in a stressful situation. Yeah, but like just in general, when we feel stressed out, we're out of body, and that's what allows our brains to go fucking crazy and go places that aren't real that we shouldn't necessarily be that don't serve us or the people around us that well and especially when we're supposed to be helping our kids um, calm their brains to get back to earth so um, you know most of the mindfulness techniques out there are about bringing yourself back down to your body to the earth kind of an essentially grounding of yourself Um, and that's doing really simple things like listening to sounds you know, it's tuning in to your with your body to the environment that you're in. So listening to sounds, it's mindfully eating and tasting things. It's looking, like you said, Kelty, about, you know, like the hair, you know, or the way the fingers move. Or I remember you telling me <clears> once <throat> to just like clap my hands. Mm, sure. And that seriously worked. And she thought I was applauding her. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's something that shocks the body. It takes your all of the focus in your mind from your more irrational, reactive part of your brain to the more intentional, conscious, um, guided, and kind of whole part of your brain that you really want to be. But even grounding, just touching a table, looking at your hands, 
you know, picking your feet up and down a little, looking at yourself in the mirror and smiling or lifting up your face. Like I know that my daughter has been doing this thing where when she starts getting upset, she'll go to the mirror and like start looking at her face as she's freaking out. And it, and it immediately calms her down to see herself. It, it grounds her to see herself how, screaming how or doing whatever. How soon are you going to go get like a pocket mirror and just like, <laughs> like put it at her when she's... I'm allowing her to do that herself. But uh, even That's my respectful. son will do that. I'll hold him and I'll walk past something and he'll be like lean back to like look at himself in the mirror to be like, what does this look like? But just that idea of what does this look like? That's a prefrontal cortex ability. That is not... That brings you into a yes, receptive place. It, yep, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, you know, so look at yourself in the mirror more. <laughs> No. Vanity at its best. <clears throat> but there are lots of things you can do. But I think part of that is more. just slowing your stuff down. Mm-hmm. When you think about even just generally slowing down when you go on vacation, you just mm-hmm. feel different. You have different thoughts. You're thinking different stuff. And just, I feel like we're in, we're always in such a rush and a, we get you know, a little hectic in our sure. fast-paced lives. Sure. But just, and I think even in our more stressful experiences with our kids, we try to tell ourselves things like, it's not an emergency mm-hmm. or nothing's on fire. It's okay. Everybody's okay right yeah. now. But that's like find your mantra <clears throat> that works for you to just be like, we're all good. <laughs> but I think the moment is never that bad. I think what we're really triggered by is either that discomfort um, and guilt of the past and burden or this fear and um, distrust of the future. Yeah. You know, I feel like John Cabot Sin talks about that. Eckhart Tolle talks about that. Byron Katie, so many people, um, you know, how can we look at our child struggling, um, freaking out or maybe hitting their sibling or something and not think of the million other times it's happened in the past to us? Oh my gosh, I know siblings who fought and now they're not close and all this shit's going down and they hate each other. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Or <clears throat> spin out thinking about how bad it could be. Like, you know, what if, what if they don't have a good relationship? Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. I think so much of our time we spend bouncing back and forth between the past and the future and <clears throat> we're not paying attention and being present just in the moment mm-hmm. um, where we can just honor it for what it is and it doesn't have to mean something in that bigger way. If we just honor it for what it is, we don't actually have to be burdened that much but by I, Yeah, I feel like it's it. something Paul talks about is either we're in that reactive mode mm-hmm. or we're in that autopilot mode. Where you're really disconnected from reality, regardless of which one you're in. So when, how can we be in that receptive mode? Slowing down. Slowing down, yeah. paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just have this mental image of Bill Murray in one of the last scenes. I feel like it's one of those lovely scenes where the music's playing throughout a bunch of little clips, mm. like time passing kind of ones, where he's sitting at the bar and like reading his poetry and listening to the music and just looking around himself, just like marveling at all these things that he'd probably just like breezed through mm-hmm. and hadn't seen or heard. But also just feeling like not just he's taking joy in those moments, but he's also just kind of accepting them as they are, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit, but like I picture us like <clears throat> at the beach, reading our book with our like, you know, foofy, blended drink or whatever in Mexico. I'm dreaming about that right now because my in-laws are in Mexico and I'm just like, fuck, I want to be there. Mm -hmm. But the the way we look at everything going on around us, so kind of connectedly disconnected. And why can't I look at like dinner that way? 
Why can't it be that charmed? Why can't I just say, this is dinner? I'm so above this and also so in it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, acceptance. Mexico at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mexico every day, <clears throat> all day. Yeah. So accepting what we can and can't change is one of his things, just the magic of acceptance. And the first half of the movie is all about Phil being basically in denial as he like robs the bank and woos Nancy and goes out drinking all that stuff, which is very entertaining. But it only, it's only when he stops Mm -hmm. resisting and finally sort of like accepts that he can't escape it and starts making then progress Mm -hmm. towards his freedom. And also like a big part of acceptance is when the homeless man dies and he realizes Mm -hmm. over and over and over that he's not God, that he can't change that thing. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the big moment. Well, and that he can't just save himself, but that he can't save other people, Mm -hmm. which is like us and our kids. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's something that we talk about all the time and it's such a big ask. Like if you are acknowledging and accepting reality, that's hard because we don't like to accept that there might be a problem. That could mean we have a responsibility or have to give something up Mm -hmm. that we value. And it's just uncomfortable having to like accept facts that like what conflict with our cherished beliefs, like challenge our personal reality, basically. I don't know. You don't have a good example? Well, that, for example, your kids eat with their hands still. Oh my God. That challenges your cherished beliefs and personal reality. That a two and a half year old and a four and a half year old should be able, not only do they eat with their hands, they insist on having like two or three spoons and forks right there. If you like next to, like they have to have them. They Sometimes do. they pick them up and put oh them back down. Sometimes they put them in their milk. Oh, they, bitter irony. They, yeah. It is, they barely use them, you're right. It's so funny. It's, it's a big lesson in acceptance for me. This is where they are. This is how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact of the matter that you need to accept is that that's how they eat and how they're choosing to eat with their food. Or, but that's how they are right now. Right. And that's such a big key for us is yeah. meeting our kids where they are right fucking now or anyone mm-hmm. in our lives. Like we mm-hmm. talked about this in our, what was this? Our empowerment, like intro to our empowerments empowerment mm-hmm. video. That sounds but that's, totally crazy. I mean, but, but that's everything. Like you, we could do a whole episode on expectations mm-hmm. and accepting the as is and how that is not permissive. It's actually fucking productive yeah. to accept the as is. Only when we accept the as is can we then say what's next. Make that next step. That is Make a, a change. Is it exactly what Paul says. Really? Yes. Oh, he totally mm-hmm. backs you up on that one. Okay. But he's, he clarifies that acceptance or making the best of what you have is not giving up. Mm but rather refocusing your efforts on what you can change, which is your attitudes, your skills, your behaviors, and not those of others. Like we talk about how the only control that we try to practice is self-control. Oh, it's a doozy. (laughs) But it's true though. Like start with why Simon Sinek. It says we have to be leaders that don't control and manipulate, but who Mm -hmm. inspire. That is that is everything. And I feel like that's yeah. what Phil ended up doing, kind of. Yeah. He was all about control and manipulation most of the movie and finally <clears throat> just inspired everyone to fucking love him. Mm-hmm. So one other thing was he talked about using repetition to his advantage. Mm-hmm. And I like talking about this one because I feel like so many of our activities with our families are repetitive to the point that we're just like, I can't do this Dear again. God, yes. I cannot pick up another 
plate and wash it and clean up under the table and do I can't change in their diaper. I can't go through getting the clothes on mm-hmm. and when they don't want to get the clothes on or getting the shoes on to go out the door, whatever it is. Like yeah. there's such a huge element of repetition to our lives as parents. And how can that be magical? It, well, how can that be Phil, transformative? Phil kind of proves that it's magical because I think he it felt that it was a punishment mm-hmm. for most of the movie. But over time, it became this magical, essential element to his transformation. Well, because because it was so static, because it was so consistent, it became this trackable opportunity mm-hmm. to engage with. Exactly. Where we think about these things. I'm totally just riffing on this. You we go. think about these things in other areas of our lives, like our like sports or mm-hmm. in work or studying for a test or something, where we re- we repeat over and over and over. We practice, 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 and it's we the know, same class every time. It's the same practice every right, time. Where we go over and over and over, and knowing that that's going to get us someplace better. If we engage with that repetition, it's going to give us some progress, let alone perfection or whatever mm-hmm. that even means. But I don't think we always think of that with, oh, this bedtime every fucking night, I get this opportunity to dominate it, to figure it out, to dissect it and see what are these needs of this other little person? What are these needs of mine? What is the time? What are all these constraints? Well, how can I play this to achieve essentially? Not think of it as a trap. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think that's what it is. It's such an unknown thing to us parents. Yeah, We don't have that blueprint or that structural stability of this is a class I'm taking so I can buy into this repetition or this yeah. is an athletic practice where it's okay. My coach is cool. He's telling us what we need to do. We need to repeat things this many times. No, it's over happening to us. We didn't sign up for that right. repetition. We didn't know it was going to happen. We didn't know what we were signing up but for. But you and I talk all the time about how repetition can teach us so mm. much and how it's like this mirror that can bring about so much change in our lives. And you and I talk about that mirror opportunity being this ding ding we talk about a lot. Right. Where when we start feeling all the feels yep, where we're in, frustrated. We're in groundhog day mode. It's we've gone down this vicious cycle of repetition where we're like, this is not working. This bedtime situation is seriously killing me. And when we get to that point where we're like, I don't want this to be groundhog day anymore. What needs to happen? Do do we need to make a transition? Do they need to get out of their crib? Do we need to move past the pacifier? I feel like do you, we need to start you earlier? You've been that person for in all of our kids' lives to be the like when I come to you being like, and it's just been terrible, and you're like, well, obviously we just need to make a change. How's it been going so far? What can we do next? Sure, just but, strategize. But that's about the it. beauty of the repetition is that you have data. Mm-hmm. I, I remember doing a spreadsheet for my daughter when she was probably six months and having some serious. You know, we um, thought you changes. were so crazy. It seemed really crazy, but <laughs> I did a sleep a, a chart with like feeding and waking and sleeping and all the different things, so I could be like, "What does this mean? What are the patterns? Mm-hmm. What can we be changing here?" And it fucking worked. Yeah, like it's like a building block situation. Like you see in the movie, Phil's skills advancing mm-hmm. because of thing. that static repetition. Yeah, yeah. So. That leads us to sort of the end of the book. I definitely skipped a lot of this. I don't want this book to be over. I know. I'm having so much fun. I want to watch the movie with you now. Let's do it. I know you said you're tired. but I am tired. Okay. Um, yeah. So Paul talks about the new Phil in this last mm. section. And I just think about it being, you know, the scene in the movie at the end where it's, that's, it's the final day. And you never really know. You're like, is this the final day? You never <laughs> are totally sure. But everything's going so well. You feel like it is. 
and you en- he ends up at this. But they huge, tricked you with they a few totally nights where you. they trick you where a few things were like, oh my god, it's happening, and then it didn't. Right, like when he like pretends he's God and tells Andy McDowell yeah. all the things. Still Rita, didn't happen. Things still yeah. didn't happen. But yeah, but sorry to interrupt. You totally like interrupted me. Sorry, that's okay. But. I just keep thinking about that big party at the end and being like, Mm. that was happening every fucking night of that entire movie and we never got to see it. Mm. That's like, it's such a big, wonderful payoff in a huge way. Like his growth revealed this this thing of a night. Of a night, Mm. of the night, the fun, big party night. Mm. That's so cool. And, And I keep thinking about Phil as just this, like this ultimate. And that, I think that's why we all connect with him because we're like, can I just be that? Like, he had broken free of all of his thought patterns and attitudes and feelings and behavior. I have a little note to read right here. It says, Phil's, Phyllis, Phyllis, no, <laughs> Phil's psychological age has increased, even if his physical age has not. Mm-hmm. Playful and empathetic, he is reminiscent of the laughing Buddha. He has a spring in his step. His body language is open, expressing his joie de vivre. Life is no longer a struggle. It is a magical dance. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how in the movie, we don't even know how many nights, how many days he did that dance. Mm, that's true. How many got him to play piano like such a boss? Mm-hmm. How many got him to that place of inner authenticity, of feeling so just at ease yeah. with himself, with his life? But I think like that how many days and years does that how take? How long does it take any of us yeah. to... To feel like that, I feel like we all know some people in our lives who at least project that if if yeah. they don't feel it totally authentically. But I want to be that as a parent. Mm. I want to not have to feel like I have to be powerful or control or play tricks or manipulate. Like just ha- that feeling of like having nothing to prove to anyone or Being anything. So like Phil was so like disconnected and connected mm-hmm. at the same time. Like he was like living in the acceptance stage yes, of your dabdus. Exactly. <laughs> yes, like he wasn't doing the dabdus roller coaster anymore. He just yeah. accepted everything, himself, others, the situation, and that wasn't a consolation. That was the prize. Yeah. Yeah. It just it makes me think about your question about like how long did that take? It's yeah. not like there was a counter in the corner saying how many days he'd gone through doing that, but yeah. It just makes me wonder or think about like how long it takes us, all these steps, all this work we're doing is a long time coming, isn't overnight. That's the becoming process, right? Yeah. But I just want to be thinking how much can we as parents like commit to that process of Mm -hmm. becoming, you know, of looking for the magic in the mundane, of asking that why, of recognizing our personal reality for what it is like even the like we can't burst that bubble we can't say go away personal reality we can just say i'm seeing through my personal reality right now Mm -hmm. you know like just take it for what it is and how much can we accept ourselves our children and our outer world for exactly who and what they are so that we can grow yeah you know and learn piano oh my god i really (laughs) want to do that That was really inspiring. (laughs) Well, Paul writes that this is magic we can all practice. We can all break free of the Groundhog Day effect and live the life we choose to live, not the life we were conditioned to lead. Mm. So you had this idea of us each finding a favorite quote from the movie. Mm -hmm. 
and I want to tell you mine. Okay. It just, it kills me. Okay. Hopefully we it's, don't have the same one. That would be pretty that, funny. It might happen. <laughs> um, it's what I really want to say to lean into like the hardest and bravest moments with my kids. Like when I'm feeling really alone and helpless and like there's no end in sight. What I'd like to say is I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. I love what that. about you? What's your quote? It wasn't, <clears throat> was it that one? No. Okay. <laughs> Mine Good. would be something that I whisper in my kid's ear at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be, no matter what happens tomorrow mm-hmm. or for the rest of my life, I am happy now because I love you. I love that. Yeah. So send us your own magical Groundhog Day memories, successes, or struggles, and visit Paul Hannum at paulhannum, H-A-N-N-A-M.com to learn about his new book, The Wisdom of Groundhog Day. Whoa, I hope that he just keeps writing Groundhog Day books forever, mm-hmm. over and over. And that we get over and over and over. Yeah, I love that. Um, lastly, our affirmation to you. You are doing an amazing job. We are so proud of you. We are right here with you taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time.